The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. So I wonder this morning, maybe you came here and you're, you're mad. Right? And you've been mad for years. You could be mad about a number of things that didn't work out the way that you had thought they should. Maybe somebody died and you're still angry about that. Maybe you went through a, a, a divorce and you're angry about that. Maybe you lost a job or lost um, you know, a financial position that you were in and you've never been able to recover from that. And you could be angry about that or many other things. And, and if we fail to process anger biblically, it can mess up our lives. Now, the, the Bible, like, makes room for anger. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, be angry, but don't sin, okay? And so there's a place for anger. There's a place for righteous anger. There's a place um, for us to go through being angry about things, maybe some injustices in the world or what's happening to other uh, people to be uh, righteously angry. But most of the time, that's not the problem we're having. We're having a problem of being angry over the way things went or how we feel about some certain thing, and it sort of sets in, and we get angry about it, and it can take root, and it can begin to cause uh, bitterness to grow in, in the depths of your heart. And so Jonah, he's a great example of a person who experienced this. So we just kind of summarize where we started with Jonah. Jonah received a call from God, go to Nineveh, the Assyrians, a people he hated, and preach the gospel to them, preach the good news uh, to them, or if in Jonah's case, it wasn't the gospel as we have it, but it was, you know, it was a message from God, like doom is coming. In 40 days, God would destroy Nineveh. And Jonah didn't like the call that he received from God, so he ran. And as he's running on the, the boat, he heads the wrong direction, then God sends a storm. And because of the storm, the sailors are asking what's going on, and they conclude that Jonah is responsible, and Jonah says, throw me overboard. He wants to die. They throw him overboard, and so God provides a fish, a great fish. It swallows Jonah, and he has a come-to-Jesus moment inside the, the fish, and um, he begins to pray one of the most incredible prayers a, a, a sinful person could pray. Ranks up there with Psalm 51 that King David prayed when he was guilty of committing uh, adultery with Bathsheba. It's just a very repentant prayer. And he, he kind of comes to his senses there and realizes how wrong he was. And so then he is vomited. And he's vomited up on the beach. And he has some time to think and reflect. And the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And we see that he has a second chance to walk in obedience with God. And so he does what God asks him to do. And he goes to Nineveh and he spends several days there bringing this message, yet in 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. It will be overthrown. And so what happens as he does that is that Nineveh repents, and God has compassion, and he doesn't destroy Nineveh. And Jonah is ticked. I mean, he's hot about the whole thing. And so as we read this today, um, I think you will be able to, to draw some parallels as you think about different events that have happened in your life or possibly that are happening in your life right now or may happen this week, okay? Like you will see things like, <laughs> anger's a funny thing, man. Um, 
Just think about how angry you get when someone doesn't drive the way you think they should drive. You just get fired up, man. And so we see in that, do, do we really deserve to be able to get angry about that? And that's the point of the whole um, story of Jonah. Is it's, a, it's a story about God. And it's a story about looking how God, like, <laughs> if God got as angry about the way we drive our lives as we do the people on the way to work, it would be bad news for us, right? Because we just lose it in an instant. God would just be like, zip, zap, bing. And people would just be, they'd just be falling over by, by the wayside constantly. But thank the Lord, he's not like us. And that's what we're going to see in this last chapter of Jonah. And so here it is, man. The city repents. And they're, they're like putting on sackcloth and ashes, which is an Old Testament way of, of out an outward appearance of the inward repentance that was going on within their hearts. Even the highest leader of the land, the king of Nineveh, he put on um, sackcloth, which is very uncomfortable, like burlap clothing that was not fun to wear, and put ashes on your face just as a, an outward sign of, of your realization of the sin that's going on in, inside of your heart. And he proclaimed a fast. The people were not to eat. They were not to engage in pleasure. And don't even let the livestock eat. And so, like, man, it would be, it would be as if I were preaching a message, man, and all of a sudden, um, and I don't know any of these leaders that I'm about to name, so I don't want to say anything about their spiritual lives, but it would be like the, the mayor and, and, and the governor and, and even the president, maybe. They repented, and people just started coming to church, and this revival happened, and, and all of Overland Park shut down, and, and nobody was going and thinking about going out and eating and, and doing things uh, the, uh, fun, and they weren't worried about um, football and, and baseball and all of these other activities. Man, they were just broken and at home, and, and they were sitting in the backyard around the fire pit with ashes on their face, crying out to God about how sinful they were. That would be amazing, okay? Because people aren't even thinking, you know, for the most part, people don't even think about God. They just kind of give him a little token thought every once in a while. But that's what was happening in Nineveh. It's meant people were just, they were repenting in this massive move of the Lord. But it says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick, to, or so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's like, man, I don't even want to be alive. And the Lord replied, and he says, have you any right to be angry? That's a great question. I think it's a great question for all of us to ask anytime we find ourselves angry. Have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry at this friend that you're angry with? Have you any right to be angry with your boss? Have you any right to be angry um, uh, with your husband? Amen, Abby? Amen. <laughs> Have you any right to be angry with your wife? Have you any right to be angry? And, and that's the question that he asked Jonah. And, and here's what I, I want us to take away from this, is that we need to understand that the anger can get the best part of you. 
the best of you, man. If anger sets in, it will get the best of what you have to offer to those around you, to your family, even to your own life and your own journey. Anger can really trip you up. So, see, Jonah got a second chance, but in his second chance, he was still emotionally unstable. And he couldn't see the forest for the trees, and he thought God was wrong. Like he knew how God reacted. And he knew that when God sent him to give this message of doom, that God was trying to say something, that he was going to, he was going to give these people a chance because he was going to send them the warning so that they could respond to the warning. And he knew that he was gracious and compassionate, and he thought God was wrong. Here's what I want you to take away. If you don't take away anything else that I say today, take away this. Even is that when you think about God, God is right even when you think he's wrong. Like he's just right. And there will be times that you feel like he is wrong. There will be times that you look at and, and man, you learn that, that a loved one has a, a disease, man, a, like cancer. And you never know. Like Preston found out, some of you know Monty Weedle. He's a, a faithful supporter of this ministry and can, still considers me his pastor. He found out this last week that he has a brain tumor. And Preston's already lost his mom. And, and now his dad is sick with this, with this, like they don't even know what's going on. And, and so like, that's hard news to get. And we think sometimes we're immune from it, but we're not. I remember getting the call very clearly when I found out my dad had cancer. And I went to the doctor with him and they diagnosed him with that. We thought it was bad already that he had Parkinson's disease. Then he gets this thing called multiple myeloma, which is an awful cancer to get. And, and like, what do you do, man? You, 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 it can make you angry if you're not careful. But you have to be reminded that God is, is in control. God is sovereign. And he is right even when it feels like he is wrong. And if you start thinking he's wrong and you start like letting your mind go there, then the enemy will get a hold of your mind and he will start wrapping his scaly fingers around it. And before long, you will hate God. You will hate the church. You will hate anything biblical. And you will run as far as you can from anything that has to do with God and, and because you don't like the fact that you are not in control. But the truth of the matter is, is we are not in control. We look at our world and we can see that, how um, crazy things are right now for us, like never in our lifetimes before. I'm facing a pandemic. We don't know whether to trust the government. We don't know whether we should be doing this or that. It's, it's just strange, man. We don't, we don't trust the leadership. There are people like the, the country's just split right down the middle. There's some people that hate the uh, Democratic Party, and then the other half of the country hates the Republican Party. And then we don't think that any of them could do any good of a job. And, and it's just weird, man. And we see that things are out of our control. And so, like, when we see this, we need to understand that it is out of our control. But it's not out of God's control. God was not surprised by the pandemic. God is not surprised by what's going on in the election. God's not going to be surprised by who gets elected in November. Like, and it's not freaking him out. But a lot of people, it's just freaking them out, man. And, and, and like as, as believers, we have the assurance and the hope that we belong to the kingdom, that we are, we are kingdoms and citizens of the kingdom of heaven before we are citizens of any other country here on earth. And we have the assurance that as we seek ye first the kingdom of Christ, all things that are needed will be added to us. It doesn't matter if the economy completely implodes. There have been Christians who've lived through that. There have been Christians who lived through the Great Depression when they had nothing and they were standing in line in order to be fed. And if that happens, 
as long as we are trusting the Lord, he will provide for us. We need not fear. God is in control. And if you don't get that down and you don't realize that God is in control, when everything around you feels like is out of your control, it will scare you to death and shut you down and make you depressed and make you feel like you don't want to do anything. It will give you anxiety. But if you just stop and go, wait a minute, God is in control here. Like this is not my responsibility, it is the Lord's responsibility, and you continue to put it back upon him, then it is his responsibility to provide for you. This is why it is so important to walk in obedience, and this is what the message of Jonah is about, is that God is sovereign and he is in control, and when we walk in obedience, he has promised us that he will provide for us the provision necessary for us to do not what we want to do, but what he wants us to do. And so that's why we have to start focusing on what does he want us to do? We were in Brown to Green um, with the discipleship leaders this last um, Wednesday, and I just kept pressing the question, how do we do this thing Jesus said to do, which is to go and make disciples that make disciples? Like, if you want to know if you're walking in the will of God, that's it, man. I've never been more committed to it in all my life. And there was a period of half of my ministry I was not committed to it. I knew it was important. I thought I was doing it. But when it came right down to what does it mean to make a disciple that can go and make another disciple, I realized, man, I hadn't done much of that at all. I walked away from my last ministry and started trying to count how many people did I teach how to pray? How many people did I teach how to look into the word and see what it is saying to them? And I realized, man, there are a lot of people that learned it. But as far as me taking them by the hand one-on-one and beginning to show them, there weren't any. Like there were very, if there were, there was just a handful. And I did, like I didn't want to make that mistake again. And so, so why, do I, why am I spending time on this? Is because I want us to understand is that when we think about the sovereignty of God and God providing for us, because we like to claim all these things, like God will provide. Well, he is not going to provide for you if you are not doing what he wants you to do. What does he want you to do? Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore and do what you want to do. Go ye therefore and and live your life and put him on as an addendum. No, go ye therefore and make disciples as the singular focus of your, your life and everything else is just a part of that. Like it's not that's a part of your life. That is to be your life. You are a citizen of the kingdom. You've been born again. And so now the royal blood of Christ flows through your veins, spiritually speaking, and washes away your sins. And now you no longer have rights to yourselves. You only have rights to Jesus. And Jesus gets to call the shot. He is not just Savior. He is Lord, and he tells you what to do, and he is sovereign. He's in control of the universe, and he ought to be in control of your life. Like You ought not be in control of Jesus. Jesus should be in control of you. And so we look at that, and if if we're not careful in understanding that, we will get angry about the things, that the way that things go. And so he wanted to play God because, honestly, he didn't trust God. He did not. He knew God's character, and he did not trust him with the decision with how he would handle this city that he hated. Why? Because he wanted the city destroyed. And he knew that God was gracious and compassionate. And so he knew that God would relent if they changed their minds, and he did not want to give God this decision. This is the same sin that plagues people today. People do not want to trust God with the decision of who they should be dating and who they should marry. They think they can figure it out on their own. People do not want to trust the decision on where they should go to school and what they prepare themselves for because they're afraid that if they do that and fully surrender to God, he may ask them to go into ministry. And he might, but if he does and you're not listening, you are a fool. 
Amen. Like, it's just foolish. It is foolish to go, I believe the sovereign God of the universe exists, but I don't want to listen to him because I'm afraid that that sovereign God of the universe that knows everything and knows everything about me might ask me to do something that I don't want to do. That's crazy. Like, if we just stop and think about what we believe, it would begin to impact our behavior, and that's what this story is about. And so he says to God, this is why I ran. I knew you would do this. I'd be better off dead. Okay, so Jonah was deeply bitter, and he literally, if we think about what is happening in his life, he is shaking his fist um, in the face of God, even though he believes in God. Okay, so see, you know, it is not just the atheist that can shake his fist in the face of God. As a matter of fact, I think it's probably more offensive to God for a person who says he believes in God, he believes in Jesus, yet he is obstinate and shakes his fist in the face of what God has asked him to do, knowing that he has the Spirit of God convicting him to do those very things. Like, that's offensive. Like, I would be more offended that, uh, that my children did something that I didn't think was right than I would if somebody I didn't know, one of their friends did it. It would bother me more. Why? Because they're my kids, they grow up in my house, they know about me, and there's certain things and values and expectations that we have. And so we look at this and we see this is what's going on with Jonah. And so the story is about jo or is not about Jonah, it's about God. And so God asked Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry? And so know this, is that your anger can get the best of you. Okay, like, like I don't mean just in a singular moment, I mean that if you're not careful, Anger can get the best part of you that exists and destroy your life. Well, we go on and it says, Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And watch this. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. You see, God throws shade. <laughs> I'm not <over> that. <laughs> and so, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. <laughs> so if you think about the absurdity of this, what Jonah's saying, like you look at it and you go, wow, what a knucklehead. But the, the reality is this is exactly the way many people live today. Like you could, you could put something else in place of the, the vine, but you could fit in the place of Jonah. And here's, here's the second takeaway. Self-pity will keep you from pursuing God. When something happens that you don't like and then you start feeling um, like giving yourself a place to be uh, wrapped up in pity, you will not pursue God because you are pursuing yourself. You're pursuing the way that other people are responding to you. You're acting depressed. You want them to come by and see you. Oftentimes, a, a spouse will lose a loved one, and they just shut down and lock up in their home. Start watching TV and won't get out and move forward. Now, I know, um, I don't know from experience, 
But I know that can be a very difficult thing to walk through. But you got to make sure that you're not retreating and becoming angry or you will find yourself in a place of self-pity and it can actually destroy your life. You see, in this case, in Jonah's context, when a city has this massive revival, what he should have been doing is celebrating God's deliverance, but he was too bitter for that. He was so wrapped up in himself that he could not see the victory that was going on all around him and how God used him. He couldn't see the greatness that God had accomplished. And that is a very, very sad thing when you stop and think about it. But in spite of Jonah's attitude, God still provided. He's still, he's still like bringing Jonah along. And he provides this shade, and we see the gracious hand of God reaching out to Jonah, even in his self-pity. And, and his happiness, we see, is determined by circumstance instead of sovereignty. And that's where he's, where he's off. That's why he can't, he can't get a hold of what's going on. His, his, his happiness is all wrapped up in the circumstances around him instead of the sovereignty of God. And when your happiness is wrapped up in the sovereignty of God, when something difficult happens to you, and it will, it happens to all of us, when it happens to you, you are focused on the sovereignty of God instead of the circumstance. If you are focused on circumstances in your life, career, income, relationships, um, uh, friendships that you have with people, uh, your success, your image, if you're focused on all of those things, then you're focused on circumstances. Now, if you're focused on the sovereignty of God, then you begin to realize God will take care of what I'm supposed to do for a living and where I'm supposed to do. I just need to prepare myself and consistently seek him. God will take care of the relationships that I'm supposed to have in my life. And if these people uh, don't want to include me, that's okay because God has already included me. And I'm focused on the sovereignty of God, and he evidently doesn't want me to be in relationship with those people or that person. There's so on and so forth. You could go all the way down the row of anything that happens in your life. Your kid doesn't make a club team. And you go, man, my kid didn't make that team. I didn't make the starting lineup in school. It's the sovereignty of God that you have to focus on, not the circumstance, or the circumstance will crush you and make you feel defeated. Circumstances are subject to change. They will always change, but God's sovereignty is not. Right? It just, he never changes, and so we can lean on that. And so, so Jonah, he is focused on his circumstances, so he becomes more enraged, and he still wants to die. And when you make life about circumstances, it becomes meaningless. And that's why he wants to die. Now, here's, the, here's the, something to think about. What should have Jonah been doing right now? Jonah should have been down in the wicked city that had just turned to a God that they didn't know anything about until he came and told them, and he should have been telling them about what it means to fully follow this God. But what is Jonah doing? He's sitting up on the hillside in a shelter that he has made and God has given him some shade and he wants to be comfortable and cozy and sit in self-pity and be obstinate when he should have been down there reaping the harvest. Same thing that's going on in the church in Western world today is that instead of doing what Jesus has asked us to do, we want to decide how that shelter looks. We want to decide where that shelter is going to be, and we want to be a spectator up on the hill looking down at what God is doing. Look at this great church that I'm a part of. Look at this great teaching, the great music. I belong to such and such church. Who cares? What are you doing for Jesus? 
That's the only thing that matters. You see, Jonah should have been down there in the midst of the city ministering as an agent of the Lord, as an ambassador. And that's what we should be doing. We should be ambassadors of the gospel. It's not about what church we belong to. It's about the obedience that we are walking out on a daily basis for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so self-pity will keep you from doing that. And here's, here's the one thing Jonah did, and I would encourage you to do, is to uh, talk to God about your anger when you do get angry. Okay, so God said, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, man. I'm angry enough to die. Now, the Lord responds to him, and it's very interesting what he says. Watch this. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. What does that mean? It means that they were, there were 120,000 people young enough not to know right from wrong. So there were just 120,000 kids. And he says it has many cattle as well. He says, should I not be concerned about that great city? It's full of people. There are people everywhere. It's like you're, you're wrapped up in this vine that you didn't have nothing to do with. You just enjoyed it, and something has happened to it, and you're ticked off that I'm concerned about a city that is filled with people who are innocent that don't even know right from wrong, and you're up here look, sitting in this shelter, like wanting to be comfortable, and you're mad about what I'm doing down there to try to help all of these people. You're bitter over something you had nothing to do with, Jonah. You're angry about circumstances that are out of your control. You love something that you didn't create, and I love people, Jonah. You care more about yourself than you do people. Should, should I not be concerned about that 120,000 them youths down there, all of them kids and those cows? Would you have me to be a God that does not love people, Jonah? You'd still be at the bottom of the ocean. That's what God is saying to Jonah. Jonah, get your eyes off your circumstances and focus on me. Nothing can stop you if you learn this lesson. Rejoice in the truth that I am in control and I am nothing like you. Amen, God. I'm so thankful for that. I find myself often like getting frustrated about things and knowing that my attitude is out of control and finding myself on my knees in my study going, Lord, I'm thankful you're not like me. Like, just thank you. Thank you for being long-suffering and patient with me. And that brings us to the big, big idea of, of, to, of today's talk is that life is about God and he is in control. It's all about God. And so he, Jonah had forgotten his purpose. The Israelites, like, why did God choose the Israelites? They were chosen to share God's blessings with all of the surrounding nations. That's why he made them into a nation. And, and Jonah didn't want to do that because he didn't like the way those people had treated him. See, your purpose is to share God's blessing with the world. And Jonah was watching to see what would happen. And he didn't realize that the miracle was taking place inside of him as he was learning what God was like. And God was being patient with him. And so even when we talk about, well, God, why does God want me to, why, Jimmy, why do you keep talking about this discipleship stuff so much? Like it just, it, it makes me uncomfortable. Well, one is to make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. And that's what the Lord said to do. 
And why, but why, did the, why does the Lord, why is he so concerned about me doing that? It's because when you start doing it, you will start living the life that he lived. And it will be produced in you. And as you walk it out, and as you're trying to do this thing that is, is <laughs> it takes God to make it happen, then you start seeing God move. And so discipleship is not so much about the other people that will be discipled, though it is about that, as it is about you. You see, in this story, the beautiful thing about it is, is that God went to all these links to teach his prophet a lesson that he needed to learn, that he needed to harmonize with God's sovereignty. He needed to trust God with all the decisions that God was going to make, and he just needed to do what the Lord asked him to do. And that's where we're at as a group of people, as, a, as believers in the kingdom, is that we just need to trust God, and we just need to believe him, and we just need to step out in faith and believe that he is going to provide instead of sitting around in comfortable, cozy shelters, spectating as other people do all the work of the kingdom. We're missing the very blessing that God wants us to experience if we live that way. And so... God uses big things like the fish and little bitty things like the vine and the worm to get our attention and bring us along. The Lord provides and the Lord takes away. And he does it, why? Does he do it because he's cruel? No, he does it because he's compassionate. He does it because he knows how we're made. He does it because he knows that we are in a spiritual battle and there's an enemy that's trying to get us just to focus on our own selves. And he wants us to focus on something bigger. What? His creation, him, and how he is moving in the created order. And we get to harmonize with his sovereignty and trust him and believe that he's going to work all things out for the good because we love him. And we just walk that out, man. And as we walk it out and we're faithful, then God begins to move. And see, God loves people. And when he tells us to do something, it's not something we should think about. It's something we should do. We should just do it. And so do it because God loves people. And when you love people and you engage in the heart of God, you're harmonizing with his sovereignty. And you will begin to see him pour out his blessing. And if you are his and you don't, may I warn you as your pastor, you better look out for the little worm, the scorching east wind, and the, the storm that can come out of nowhere. Because if you are his, he will move heaven and earth to get you where he wants you. And like, that's something to like think about. You say, are you trying to scare me? Yes. Because I'd rather know that you were walking with God and you had reverence and respect for him to walk in obedience instead of being obstinate and having to suffer the consequences of the discipline that you never had to engage to get you to a point where you would finally trust him. And if you think it can't happen, you just need to ask around in the kingdom to the people who are walking closely with God and you will see that probably something has happened to shift them and get their attention. And it, it happens, like, man, and, and if we start walking in disobedience, how could God love us if he wouldn't chasten us and get us to walk in a way that um, puts us on the path that he desires for us? And so, like, that's the word for you, man, is that God is in control, and he loves you, and if you will just start trying to harmonize with his sovereignty, then you are going to have a meaningful life. 
you will never change God. Okay, one thing I didn't have time to, to break out is that Jonah, he uses scripture when he starts talking about the character of God. He's like, I knew you would do this. I knew you would do that. And he, he's, he's leaning on and he's trying to figure out a way to change and justify his behavior. When you find yourself going to the word to justify the decisions that you're making, you're thinking like Satan. If you know that you're doing, like, like, like the Lord has asked you to do something, and you're trying to figure out, well, if I read it this way, then I, can, I don't see it that way. That's exactly what the enemy did when he came to Jesus. And he said, it is written that if you throw yourself from this cliff, the Lord will save you. And so you can go at the word and try to justify your disobedience, but know that you are walking in dangerous territory and you're not acting like the son of God. You're acting like his greatest enemy. And so what we need to be is the people of God who are sensitive to the word and the spirit. And, and we have an attitude of obedience that says yes before the question is even asked. And if the Lord asks us, do you have a right to be angry? And we go, no, I shouldn't even be alive right now. Your hand has held me up. The very oxygen that I'm taking in is coming from you. Your grace is allowing me to exist. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.